Hey, how's it going? This is Evan Jackson, video production director of New Life Church. Thank you so much for joining us for our podcast today. It's our goal to help you grow in your faith and discover all that God has for you. I hope you're encouraged, challenged, and inspired today. Enjoy the message. And uh, today we're starting a brand new series, Heroes of Faith. Now, some of these stories, many of you may have heard many times. They're some of the most classic stories in all of the Bible. And uh, we're going to go, for the next nine weeks, we're going to take a look at some of these heroes. Now, interestingly enough, when we say hero, it doesn't actually always mean that they were great people. It's interesting to think that like God can use people that are sinful and have issues to do great and mighty things. So what that means is God can use me and God can use you. So we're going to take, we're going to read these different stories. And if you have not been churched a lot, some of these stories are going to be maybe a little bit like, wow, I didn't realize that. Or maybe you haven't heard them recently. And then what we're going to do is we're going to try to glean. Glean from these stories something that you and I can do in our, in our daily life tomorrow that will help us move forward as followers of Jesus Christ. So the big idea for this series is this. This is a nine-week sermon series that invites us into the stories of some of the greatest men and women of faith in the Bible. Though they struggled, doubted, and even failed, their lives stand as testimonies of the love and faithfulness of God. And week one is Elijah. Elijah. These are not in order, chronological order. These are, this, this story of Elijah, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this story of Elijah. Many of you probably are. But this story blows my socks off every time. I'll try to keep my socks on today. But it just does. So the big idea of today's message about Elijah is this. The story of Elijah and Ahab shows a contrast between what happens when people trust God wholeheartedly and when they don't. Okay? So here's a couple things we want to talk about. When Elijah is called to prophesy against King Ahab is one of the darkest periods in Israel's history. Elijah's called out in a moment that is the most dark in Israel's history. Ahab was the worst king Israel had known. I mean, he is like a Ahab is kind of like a, uh, an idea now of like a bad person. You're, you're an Ahab. And he was married to the other one, Jezebel. Together they were the Bonnie and Clyde of the Israel, Israelite nation. They were just bad news, the worst news. You call somebody a Jezebel, you might get slapped. These are, they become synonymous with kind of bad things. So this was a bad time. First Kings 16.30 says this, But Ahab, son of Omar, Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight more than all who were before him. Now, I got a lot of verses today, and I'm going to go rapid fire through them. They're not going to be on the wall, so just listen. Because we got lots of scripture to get through. Okay? So the concept is that he was the worst. You ever say to somebody, oh, that, you're the worst. Or that's the worst. He literally was. The worst, the Bible says it. 
He followed the lead of previous kings, but Ahab didn't just open Israel up to worshiping other gods. He persecuted those who worshiped Yahweh. He didn't go so far as to say, okay, let's set up all kinds of, let's be polygamous. Let's, I mean, uh, let's just worship God here, worship God, a different God there. We're, you know, he didn't do that. Polytheists, I mean, he, they're probably polygamous too. But the concept is he, he actually went after the worshipers of Yahweh and murdered them. Bad news. God sends Elijah to proclaim a pending drought as a sign against Ahab and all of Israel. Because of Israel's willingness to worship foreign gods, the Lord fulfills his promises given to Moses and the Israelites from their time in the wilderness. Deuteronomy, let's go back and see what those promises are. Deuteronomy 11, 16 through 17 says this. Be careful that you do not entice, you're not enticed to turn aside, serve, and bow and worship to other gods. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you. He will shut the sky, and there will be no rain. The land will not yield its produce, and you will perish quickly from the good land that the Lord has given you. And then again in Deuteronomy 28, 23 through 24, it says this, The sky above you will be bronze, and the earth beneath you iron. The Lord will turn the rain of your land into falling dust. It will descend on you from the sky until you are destroyed. So back when they were coming out of Egypt in Israel, God said, don't do this. If you do this, it's going to not work for you. I'm going to put judgment on you. The skies will not. If you follow me, you will have plenty and blessing. But if you turn and prostitute yourself to other gods, I'm going to turn off the spigot of blessing. I'm going to turn it off. So, Elijah goes, gives this prophecy in accordance with the Old Testament prophecy that God gave to, to Moses. And then, guess what happens? Three and a half years of famine. Three and a half years of famine. After that three and a half years, and a lot happens during that time, but that's not the story we're talking about today. After three and a half years in seclusion and hiding, God tells Elijah to confront Ahab. Open your Bibles to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 18. And I'm going to sit because this is a long passage. 1 <laughs> Kings chapter 18, starting in verse 17. I thought the worship team did a good job today. Every one of us is a little bit under the weather. We're all dealing with like a little <clears throat> frog in our throats. So I thought they did a good job. I'm glad I didn't have to sing today. I'm like, oh, croak, croak, croak. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, verse 17 of chapter 18 of 1 Kings. And it goes like this. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is that you, the one, uh, the one ruining Israel? He replied, I am not ruining Israel, but you and your father's family have, because you have abandoned the Lord's commands and followed the Baals. Now summon all of Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. Verse 20. So Ahab summoned all of the Israelites and gathered the prophets at Mount Carmel. 
Then Elijah approached all the people and said, and if you have your Bible today and you have a pen, underline the next few words. How long will you waver between two opinions? <coughs> How long will you waver between two opinions? Remember that. We're going to talk about that later. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people didn't answer him a word. They were, they were mute to this. And that's part of the problem. Then Elijah said to the people, I am the only remaining prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us. They are to choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. I will prepare the other bull and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. Then you call in the name of your God, and I will call in the name of the Lord, the God who answers with fire. He is God. All the people answered, that's fine. I don't know what your translation says, but mine says, that's fine. That works. Sounds good. Let's do that. Verse 25. Then Elisha said, uh, said to the prophets of Baal, since you are so numerous, choose for yourself one bull and prepare it first. Then call on the name of your God, but don't light the fire. So they took the bull that he had given them, prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Baal, answer us. But there was no sound. No one answered. Then they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah mocked them. He said, shout loudly, for he is a god. Maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he's wandered away. Or perhaps he's on the road. Perhaps he's sleeping and, and will wake up. I like, I, like, I like the fact that uh, God allows Elijah a little chance to zing him. Surely he's a god. Maybe he's just, you know, using the restroom. At noon, Elijah mocked them. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. Verse 28. They shouted loudly and cut themselves with knives and spears according to their custom until blood gushed over them. All afternoon, they kept on raving until they offered an uh, offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no sound. No one answered. No one paid attention. Hmm. Because there's no one there. Verse 30. Then Elisha said to all the people, come, come near to me. See, all the people approached, all the people approached him. Then he replied. Now, if, you're, if you have a pen, underline this sentence. He repaired the Lord's altar that had been torn down. He repaired the Lord's altar that had been torn down. So there was an altar there on Mount Carmel at one point. And it had been neglected and torn down. We'll talk about that a little later. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel will be your name. And he built an altar with the stones in the name of the Lord. Then he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold about four gallons. Next, he arranged the wood, cut up the bull, and placed it on the wood. He said, fill four water pots with water and pour them on the offering of the burnt, excuse me, pour it on the offering to be burned on the wood. 
Then he said, a second time. And they did it a second time. Then he said, a third time. And they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar. He even filled the trench with water. At the time of the offering, the evening of the evening sacrifice, the prophet Elijah approached the altar and said, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and I am your servant, and that you, your word, I have, excuse me, and that at your word I have done all these things. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me so that these people will know that you, the Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the Lord's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell face down and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Yep, that would be my response too. My family and I have been watching a bunch of uh, documentaries on the space program, NASA space program, because we're going to be going to Cape Canaveral in a few weeks on vacation. And we're going to go to the space. We're going to get the kids to get some context. And uh, one of the most fascinating parts about that is just the amount of firepower, the amount of explosion, that controlled explosion that needs to happen in order to lift that rocket off the ground. And it causes a, a plume of smoke that goes. People who are watching from a distance, right, from a, from a long distance with binoculars and stuff, could feel the explosion as it wafted over the, uh, the grasslands there. I can only imagine what this looked like. I don't know what this looked like. All I know is that fire came down with such heat and such, I would say, precision. It was like a controlled explosion with such precision that it, it, it took the sacrifice, it took the wood, it took the stones and the water, but didn't kill the people. I can only imagine what that looked like. That's a pretty cool example of it. Pretty awesome. Now let's just finish up here. Then Elijah said to the people, come near to me. I'm sorry, no, no verse 40. Then Elisha ordered them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let even one of them escape. Underline that. Seize the prophets of Baal and don't let one of them escape. So they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the wadi of Kishon and slaughtered them there. Ooh, Pastor, you're going to end there? Yep. That's where I'm going to end. Because it's important. How long, how long will you waver between two opinions? How long will you waver between two opinions? The slow slide of compromise. If the Lord is God, serve him. Baal is God, serve him. You can't do both. Now, I do not believe for one second that the Israelites are like, in a day, get rid of Yahweh, bring in Baal, yay! No, it says, over generations, the kings compromised, starting with Solomon. 
the king's compromise and brought the people into a life of duplicity where they were serving God because they knew that that was right, but they were also giving themselves over to the worship of Baal and Asherah because that felt good. What do you mean by that? The worship of Baal and Asherah was highly sensual practice. It was a license to do some very unseemly things. So it had an appeal to it that the worship of Yahweh did not, according to the flesh. So they didn't abandon Yahweh completely. They just compromised. And it was a slippery slope of compromise that brought them to this place where not only are they worshiping multiple gods, when they were told by Moses to worship God alone, Yahweh alone, but now they got to the place where they are feeling guilty, so guilty about it that they need to silence the prophets of Yahweh. They're feeling so guilty. Uh, um, Jezebel has, has, has wanted to get rid of all of the prophets of, of Yahweh because she wants to just have one voice, a voice that, that uh, is in accordance with her depravity. She doesn't want a competing conscience voice. See what I'm saying? So it's a slow slide. So I'm going to read some passages to you that confirm this. Revelations 2, 4 through 5 says this, But I have this against you, that you abandoned the love you had at first. <clears throat> Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Ephesians 4, 14. When we, uh, then when, uh, excuse me, then we will no longer be like children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness, and the techniques of deceit. This is all part of the slippery slope. It's not cut and dry. It's a slow slide. Hebrews 10, 23 says, Let us hold to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. This didn't happen in a moment. It happened over a period of time. Now, this is where I want to talk to you today about how you can apply this tomorrow. Okay? Modern neuroscience has shown that toxic thoughts, if not checked, can wire your mental maps through well-worn neural pathways that become predisposed to destructive thinking. Now, that's a lot. That's a mouthful. I had to like re-edit that sentence like a hundred times to make it so it's, so it's like understandable. I'm going to read it again. I want to talk to you a little bit today about how dangerous ideas are. Modern neuroscience has shown that toxic thoughts, if not checked, can wire our mental maps through well-worn neural pathways that become predisposed to destructive thoughts. Over time the pathways end up being a carrier of our thought life. What does that mean? Meaning everything is filtered through these destructive mental constructs. They, 
it's kind of like um, erosion lines, right? Erosion lines. When water flows down from a mountain, it finds the path of least resistance, and it goes there. And over time, it erodes so that there's a channel now that allows water to go there more often. And it all collects in that spot. So everywhere water's coming from, it filters to that spot. So in your thought life, if we're not careful about checking our thoughts, it wears mental pathways into our minds that allows thoughts to not all, not, not only are there negative thoughts, but even the good thoughts are filtered through negative constructs. Now that's a lie, I understand this, but it comes down to a very simple thing. We have to take control of what we think. We can't just let things happen to us. We have to be proactive. Now, it's the crazy thing about this, if not checked, some scientists—there's a lot of words in here. Some scientists suggest that these neural pathways are solidified through protein structures. <laughs> that end up mingling with our DNA and can be passed on to our children. That's why we see people that are predisposed to addictive tendencies because their parents were alcoholics. They're predisposed to addictive tendencies. Or how some people are naturally anxious, naturally, right? They're naturally anxious or depressed because their parents struggled with anxiety or depression. These things are wired into us. Thankfully, the mind is immalleable, is so malleable and can be remapped as long as we make intentional steps to transform our minds. It doesn't have to be that way. It can be remapped. Your mind is an amazing, squishy thing. It's an amazing thing. It can be rewired. Just like any computer, it can be rewired. But compromise is a slippery slope. So next thing, next part. He repaired the Lord's altar that had been torn down. Remember we said to underline that? He had repaired the Lord's altar that had been torn down. The first step in that process of remapping is to think about your thoughts. Oh, Pastor, now you're getting all foofy and crazy. Am I? Think about it for a second. I want you to think about Pastor telling you that you need to think about your thoughts. We need to think about our thoughts and recognize that we have been entertaining thoughts that are toxic, not getting rid of them. This is why the spiritual discipline of silence and solitude is so important. Having a morning quiet time with God, reading scripture, meditating on it, and praying that God would conform us to the image of his son is not just a dogmatic religious ritual, but a practical life-giving exercise. A practical life-giving exercise. This is so funny because they're catching up. Oh, they're catching up, right? Secular psychology and neurobiology are finding that when we take time at the start of our day and practice what they call mindfulness, 
a time in the morning to get your mind right before you head off into the day, to think about, your po- think about the positive, to fortify yourself at any difficulty that might come that day, and to remap any mental anxiety, negativity. Christians have been doing this for ages. We call it meditation, devotions, quiet time, or silence and solitude. We have all kinds of names for it. All it is is getting up in the morning and starting your day out with God. Letting him inform you as to who you are, how things work, what is going on, so that your mind is right before you hit the day. What it is, it's rebuilding the altars in your life. A day can really stomp on your altars. People can stomp on your altars. And if you, let, if you neglect them or you allow the world to trod on them without rethinking it, without rebuilding them daily, they will become desolate. It's rebuilding the altars in our life and making sure that our lives align with the one true God and his reality. James 4.8, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Right? That's what he said. How long are you going to go? Be, how long are you going to be double-minded? Let's get on God's page. Second Chronicles seven fourteen says this: If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked constructs, their ways, the way of thinking, the way because what you think ends up becoming what you are. their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. What is your land? I'm not talking about your yard. Most of us don't even own the yard we live on. The the bank does. (laughs) I'm not talking about that. What's your land? Don't you want God to to heal your territory, where you walk, where you go? Your land, your life is in your mind. It's how you live your life. It's how you perceive other people. It's how you walk. It's where you walk. Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. If you let the enemy, if you let the enemy tear down your altars, you will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Proverbs 51, 12 through, uh, 10 through 12. Create in me a clean heart, O God. This is my morning. This is how I start my morning um, quiet times just about every day. I don't want to say every day because just about every day. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Rebuild those altars. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your willing spirit. That'll rebuild your altar right there. That'll get you centered and right in your head. It's good stuff. Now, it's not just enough to to recognize that you're waffling between two ideas. It's not enough to know and to start off your day right. 
You have to seize the prophets of Baal. You have to seize them. So the next passage that we really want to focus on is seize the prophets of Baal. Do not even let one of them escape. What are the prophets of Baal in our life? Everything that puts itself up against the knowledge of God. Everything that causes us to compromise just a little bit. Because one compromise is going to lead to another. We're having, a, we're having two um, child dedications next week. Can't wait. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. But one of the things we talk about in our child's dedication is we talk to the fathers. And we say, it's your responsibility to remove from your home anything that might crowd out the maker in your child's life. What, what is in our lives that's crowding out the maker? What is, what is in our lives that is causing us? We need to capture that thing. We can't let those things have a day in our lives. We can't let them have it. We can't let them escape. 1 Corinthians 10, 40, uh, 4-5 says this. We diminish arguments in every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey God. Christ. Don't let one of them get away. Take every thought captive to obey Christ. What does that look like? Well, you have a negative thought about a person, you say, no. What did, what, what, what did Elijah do? He took him down to the woodshed, and he slaughtered him. You need to slaughter that thought. That's why I, I finished with that one and not before. You need to slaughter that thought. I mean, it sounds gross, but I'm telling you, thoughts will mess you up. If they're not taken captive and destroyed, bringing them into the light of Christ. As we learned in our Advent series, Christ is the Word made flesh. We can know that he, what it looks like to take every thought captive by looking at the example of Christ. When Christ was tempted in the wilderness, right? When his resolve was tested, he defeated the enemy by making the thoughts line up with the Word. He didn't just take what was being thrown in. He reframed it. He destroyed the thought and, re, and rebuilt the altar of the word of God. So if the word made flesh uses the word to defend himself against the bales of the day, then you can too. Matthew 4, 7, and 10, excuse me, Matthew 4, 4, 7, and 10, he says this. When, when Satan came at him, he said, it is written. And then when Satan came at it again in verse 7, he says, it is also written. And when Satan came at him again, he said, Away from me, Satan, for it is written. We can know how to demolish the toxic thoughts in our life by using the word of God. In order to repair the mental maps, we have not only take toxic thoughts and temptations captive, but we need to replace them with truth. With truth. John 8, 31 through 32 says this. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. Think about that. To the Jews who were already believing, he said this. If you continue in my word and rely on my disciples, 
you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I mean, that's, that's it right there. If you continue in my words, Jesus' words, and he's, his word is from cover to cover, by the way, because he existed before Christmas. If you continue in my word and rely on my disciples, that's like the entire New Testament, you rely on my disciples, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What's the moral of this story today? You can't rebuild altars unless you know what the stones are made of. What did he do? He, he got 12 stones. All, all the stones were there to represent the children of Israel. How did he know how to do that? Why, why would he build an altar that way? Why would he not just, you know, make a pile? Why would he, how would he know? To, because it's in here. That's how you're supposed to build altars, according to God's word in the Old Testament. You build altars, and, and, and you, know, you, you take just regular, normal stones. You don't cut them and make them special and make it look like you did something awesome. You just, whatever God has made, you put those stones up. And you do. How do we know how to take control and rebuild the altars of our lives if we don't know what the stones are? We don't know how to do it. We've got to know. We've got to. That's why you're here today. I know that's why you're here. You're here to worship the Lord, and you're here to learn more about this. And I'm here to tell you, it's not just an ancient text that deals with ancient people. It's a text that talks about your mind today. Your mental constructs. What neuroscience is just starting to figure out, theologians have been talking about for ages. We need to take our thoughts captive and destroy them, the lies of the enemy, with the truth of God's word. Today's a day. How long will you go between two ideas? If the Lord is God, serve him. Period. Lord, thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you that you care about our inner being. Not just our outer well-being or our future well-being, but you care about every part of us. Lord, we're not stoics who believe that the flesh is bad and the spirit is good or hedonists who think that all the flesh is good and the spirit is in the way. Lord, you made a full person when you made each and every one of us. Mind, body, spirit, all of it. And you care about all of it. And Lord, we're so prone to slide. We're so prone to compromise. We're so allured by the world sometimes. So God, I pray today would be a wake-up call for all of us to rebuild the altars in our lives and to cast out everything that crowds out the maker. We know the truth because you are the way, the truth, and the life. Go with us today into Monday. 
and help us to be your people who worship you and you alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen, folks. God bless. Have a great week. Thank you.